Well, we've been through this, going through this series, Gathered at the Mountain, Exodus 19 to 24. And the whole of Exodus, as I said a few weeks back, has been actually moving to this section around Mount Sinai. There's been 18 chapters of preparation, maybe even the whole book of Genesis. Oh, someone can do the walk. Thanks, Was. Thanks. <laughs> oh, they're back on. God appeared to Moses at a burning bush and he says, I'm going to use you because I'm going to deliver my people from slavery in Egypt. I'm going to gather them at the mountain where you are now and I'm going to make them a great nation and they're going to worship me at the mountain. And they get to the mountain and God speaks to the people and he gives them his ten words, which we call the Ten Commandments. Then, as we looked at last week, ten, a whole three chapters of detailed rules for to define boundaries for how they are to live and how they are to worship God when they enter the land that he's taken to them. So the God's intention always has been that they will be God's people in God's place under God's rule. So they were never meant to stay at this mountain. Not this mountain, but you know, the mountain. It's temporary. This is where they have, if you like, the wedding ceremony. They make the covenant. And they come to understand the boundaries for this new life they're entering. But the passage we come to today says actually it's time to move on. In hope you are to press on to the promised land, which for them will be their heaven. The promised land, the good land that God's promised. And God tells them, I think, in this passage that there's a very high entry cost for those for the entry into this land. It's often like that if you go to a really good event. We were talking about the ballet just earlier. I went to the ballet once. It's expensive to go to the ballet. And um, it's expensive to get into this really good place. But actually it's not expensive because it's all a gift from God. All the people of Israel need to do is receive the gift. And God actually makes three promises, three assurances to them regarding their entrance to the land. The first promise I'm calling the angel promise. I'm interested no one picked this up from their discovery section. God promises, I will go before you in the person of my angel. So you can imagine this person flying in front of Israel you know, with their wings and everyone scattering. Well, actually, angel just is a word that means messenger. My messenger will go before you. And it's actually hard to pin down who this, who or what form this messenger takes. And it's you'll see it's frequently identified with God, but somehow almost separate, but with, but same as God. The first thing the angel's going to do is lead them. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. The angel will shield them, will protect them. The angel has prepared a place for them. Just follow I said this morning, it's perhaps a little bit like following a, a bell person or a concierge in a hotel and they show you the way they prepare the place. And there's a room there prepared for you. Or maybe through a, if you go to a dangerous country, they, people, the, the armed forces might prepare a place, a, way, a place for you and they will lead you and protect you and guide you as they take you to your safe house in a, in a dangerous country, maybe like Afghanistan. That might happen. Not only that, not only the angel will lead them, but the angel will fight for them. Verse 22, if you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, see that combination of him and I? 
I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. God will fight for them. And more than that, God will win a conquest. There will be victory, overthrow. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites and Jebusites. And I, says the Lord, will wipe them out. They'll be gone. God, you see, is the active agent leading them. But, But there's a risk here. Israel does have a responsibility for this promise to be fulfilled. So there is a risk. The Lord says in verse 21, Pay attention to the angel and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He, it's interesting, it's almost like a God thing, he will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. This is a holy God and don't rebel against the holy God. Your sins will literally remain on you. There's this issue of forgiveness raised. But really, what chance is there that that that, that would happen? After all the Lord has done for Israel, after all the Lord has promised to do for Israel, if they just let him go before them, trust him for their security, like following the the, the, the forces in a dangerous country to the safe hour. If you just let them go before him go before you, listen to them, obey them, submit them, don't go your own way, what chance would they be so stupid as to go their own way? Just submit to what, what the angel is saying. It would be extra stupid to do that when you hear what God promises next. This is the paradise promise from our passage. When they enter the land God prepares, it's going to be like paradise. Like paradise, you know Moses first met. We first meet this angel back way back in chapter three of Exodus. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. That's Mount Sinai. Also, that's the same mountain. There. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And the the Lord speaks through this angel to Moses and says, hey, you're going to lead my people out of Israel. We get to verse 8. So I have come down to rescue Israel from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land of Egypt of slavery into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey which is the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. It says it again in chapter 3, verse 17. This is going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. It's it's a paradise. It's abundant. In chapter 23, it's like this. Worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. You'll have plenty of food and water. I will take away your sickness from among you. And none will miscarry. You'll be fruitful or be barren in your land. And I will give you a full lifespan. This is going to be life well lived. It's more than just possession of a piece of property. This is living life to the full and enjoying the land. This is the renewal of the whole creation. This is the reverse of the curse of Genesis. This is paradise. This is hope. But there is a risk. Israel does have a responsibility to fulfill. Verse 24. Amongst this promise, do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You know, the Amorites, Jebusites, Hittites. 
You must demolish them, their idols, and break their sacred stones to pieces. You must worship the Lord truly in, in, right, in a right way. In fact, throughout Exodus, the Lord's been saying, worship me the way I say. Worship me truly. Worship only me. When we go to the actual next chapter, we get to the chapter after, we get to instructions about the tabernacle worship. They've been brought to the mountain and they're giving instructions about how to worship the Lord truly and only the Lord. Now you think this one's in the bag, isn't it? There's not much risk here. What chance would they have of disobeying this law? After all the Lord has done for them, after all God has given them, after all the wonderful promises, why would they worship any other God which is actually a false God, a non-God? Particularly these gods of the nations... See, we know from history and from the scriptures that these are the gods of child sacrifice. These are the gods of idolatrous, sexually profane, orgistic worship. Why would you do that? What chance is there that Israel would ever do that? It would be stupid to worship any other god than the Lord, their God, who saves them and loves them, yeah? And, and, and even more so because, frankly, there's no need to worship their God. We come to the third promise, which I'm calling the holy nation promise. God says, I'm going to drive out the nations. I'm going to purify the land. It will be a holy land so that you can be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation in the land that I give you. Now, that may sound a bit harsh, but not if you think a little bit about cleanliness or holiness, which is purity being set apart. You know, if you go for surgery, you want to hope that they've sterilised the equipment before they cut on you so you don't get a bad infection. You know, if you're going to sterilise just the metal bits, let alone anything with cloth, it needs to be put in an autoclave at one bar pressure for 15 minutes and 121 degrees Celsius. For 15 minutes. It's a heavy process. You know what it's like cleaning the bathroom? I hope you know what it's like cleaning the bathroom. It's a hard job. Do you know what it's like when you get cancer? Chemo, radio, surgery. You've got to get rid of it. God says, I will do the surgery to purify the land. I've got my verses around the wrong way here. I will send my terror ahead of you and I will throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, Canaanites and Hittites out of your way. I'm going to purify the land, but I will not drive them out. Here's a little by little bit in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. God's going to commit it to the end. And it'll be done in his timetable, which means you've got to be patient, just like you've got to wait the 15 minutes before those, that equipment is sterilised. It takes time. You've got to take time for the chemo to take effect. Little by little, God opens up the land as he promised to Abraham and Moses. So we told about the boundaries of the land. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean from the desert of the Euphrates to the Euphrates River. I will give into your hands the people who live in the land and you will drive them out. Here's, Israel is active now. You will drive them out as I've already driven them out before you as you enter the land. 
There'll be God's people in God's place under God's holy room, a kingdom of priests. But there is a risk. Israel has responsibilities. There's to be no contamination. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Don't make an agreement. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. It's a kind of a little bit like at home with mum and dad. I have just cleaned the lounge room. Don't you go and take your dirty stuff and leave it all over the lounge room. The Lord says, I will purify the land. Don't you contaminate it. Don't take that surgical instrument, which is going to be used on yourself, and run it through the dirt. God, you see, has a zero tolerance policy because it's about holiness and purity. Jesus and Paul both referred to the example of yeast in dough, which is what sin is like, rebellion is like, just a little bit. And it grows and it grows and it grows. So no yeast. Holiness. Purity. But really, what chance? What chance that they would make a deal with the other gods and the other nations that the Lord has driven out? It's like getting a new house. The Lord's given me a new house. It used to be a, a pig farm, but the Lord's bought the block and cleared the block and built the house, and then you open up the gate and let the pigs run through the house. What chance? It'd be stupid to do that, to worship the Lord the way they worship their gods. What chance? Never. What chance? Easy to say stupid. You'd be stupid to do that. It's true. Let's make it personal. If you're a Christian, you've believed in Jesus. You've trusted him. You've said, I will follow Jesus. I will listen to his word. I will obey him and I will worship him and I will be holy. And it'd be stupid not to live in accordance with the creator's purpose. And how do you live your life? Day by day. Do you rebel? Maybe sometimes it's just too costly to live the way God wants us to. It's just too hard. There's, there's, there's a high price for heaven, you see. All the parties in this Exodus story, there's a price for them all to pay for this paradise on earth. Now, God is sovereign. God owns everything. So in one sense you can say, well, there's no cost to God except that God pays all the price. He bears the total cost. The land is his to give. He saves Israel out of slavery. He leads them to the land. He fights for them. He cleanses the land. He pays the price. Totally. But, but in a sense, Israel too must pay a price of sorts because they need to receive God's gift. And as they receive the gift, they need to trust God, follow his lead and obey him. Like following the army in a hostile country as they take you to the safe house. There's a cost to that because it means you can't do your own thing quite the way you might want to. They need to submit to God, love God, worship God in truth. They need to pursue holiness and they need to take steps of faith as God instructs them. So it's going to cost Israel but the cost of trust and love. It's, it's also going to cost the enemies of God. In fact, it's going to cost God's enemies big time. 
because they're going to be driven out as rebels against God, as enemies. There will be judgment upon them because they resist God, because they have false worship, of, because they're so wicked, they're going to lose everything. Big price to pay. Can you see that heaven is a high-stakes business? Now, how did the story finish? We've only read the mountain bit saying, hey, you've got to go take the land. And who paid what price? Well, God did what he said he'd do. He was faithful. He went before Israel. He fought their fights for them. He drove out the nations and he blessed them. How? And Israel? Well, for them, the price of faithful obedience proved to be just too high. In fact, they were unfaithful at every point. While they are still at the mountain, they disobey God and they make an idol out of gold, a calf, and they begin to worship the Lord, they think, through the idol. It's perverted. When they enter the land that the Lord takes them to, they resist God, they disobey God, they integrate with the nations that are there, they worship the Baal, they worship the Ashtaroth, they, even the king, some of the kings sacrifice their children in the fire. And, and Israel turns out to be not paradise, but a conflicted nation, constantly facing judgment from God and trouble, and God stepping in in mercy and saving them again. And when you get to the book of Judges, not long after they entered the land, you find out that it's they rebel, God saves, they rebel, God saves, and frankly, there's just wickedness throughout the land. And that's how, how the story ends in Judges. It, everyone just does their own thing. And there's gross injustice as they get kings. And Israel ends up paying the price for their sins. They, like it says in our passage, their sins remain on them. They made sacrifices for sins at the temple and the tabernacle, but all these cows and sheep and bull and goats being slaughtered for sin, they're not going to pay the price of their wickedness. And in the end, just like the nations who contaminated the land with their evil practice, Israel does the same thing. What happens to Israel? They are driven out of the land. First the Assyrians come down and take the northern kingdom out, the northern people. Then finally the Babylonians come, they smash the temple, they destroy the temple and they take people in exile to Babylon. Because this is to be a holy land, a holy nation. Israel is offered heaven on earth, but the price for them was just too high. What chance? But God remains faithful to his promises. You see, the big problem has always been their sin, their rebellion. They, don't, they want to go their own way. They want to follow this. Actually, I don't want to follow you. I want to go and see what the rest of the country looks like on my own and disobey you into stupidity not to pay the price. But rather than walk away from them, it's like that army group leading them to the safe house takes great risk to go and save them, even though they have walked away as fools many, many, many times. In fact, the Lord offers to pay a higher price, still a much greater personal cost, to say, I will go before you and I will prepare a place for you and I will open up paradise for you and take away your sin. And God's angel of deliverance, his messenger, 
takes on flesh as a human being as the word of God that is Jesus. And he lives the life of the holy Israelite Before he goes to the cross, he's talking to his disciples and he says to them just a day or two before, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I mean, because he's been telling them he's going to go away. But don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. I'll lead you to that place so that you also may be where I am, which is with God, the Father. And he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going? And this is a foreign land. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one is reconciled with God. No one is righteous before God except through me. You see, remember the issue back in Exodus 23, verse 21? Pay attention to my angel and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. If you wander off the track, he's not coming back. He will not forgive your rebellion. Since my name is in him, he's holy. But in Jesus, God comes and pays the price. The name of Jesus. God comes as a righteous substitute for our sin and rebellion. So John 3.16, that great verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, shall not perish but have eternal life, paradise with God can you see the high price of heaven Jesus bears the cost he opens up the way he does the obedience and the father in an act of righteous worship offers his own son for sin to take away our sin our rebellion and in that moment on the cross the unity of God, the Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit is somehow interrupted in love for you and me. See, what Israel was not able to achieve under the law of Moses because their rebellion kept making them fall over, because their tendency to just do the wrong thing, to wander off the track meant they kept getting in trouble. What the law of Moses failed to do, God achieved through his Son. And the gift of of heaven for us in Christ is free. All we need to do is trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour and believe on him as the one who leads us and follow him to God's paradise, his safe house. Now what chance that that could happen? The mercy and grace of God upon which we are totally dependent. There is no other way. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul makes reference to Israel and their time in the wilderness, their time around the mountain. 
And he compares that moment, these Exodus moments, to the experience of Christians. And he writes to these believers and he says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. For us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. For us upon whom are not heading to some location in the Middle East, but the culmination of the ages, to be with God in God's place eternal. We, like Israel, are moving on from the mountain. We live like them in the in-between. We've been saved out of slavery and God is with us. We belong as his people, yet we haven't yet received the fullness. We're on the journey to the safe house. Like Israel was in the wilderness. And our promised land, our holy place in Christ, is eternal paradise with God. Go to the very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. John has a vision and he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and earth had passed away. This world as we know it. And there was no longer any sea, which is a way of saying there's no chaos. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, coming to us from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. How wonderful. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place. He was on the smoky mountain in Exodus. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. Same language as Exodus. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And it's paradise. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It's done with. This is a new creation. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. You can bank on them. On and on, eternal life in glorious holiness. And it's worth paying the price to be there, which means to trust and obey. And follow the one who prepares a place for us. But many still do not want to pay that price. They want to stay in their rebellion. The price to follow Jesus is just too high a price to pay. To trust and obey him. No, I want to go my own way. And so they bear the cost of their own rebellion alone. They walk off into the wilderness and reject those who, the one who comes to save them and lead them to the safe house. They walk into the minefield. There's a high price for heaven. You see, in God's eternal kingdom, there's no place for yeast. There's no tolerance, zero tolerance, no contamination. So we go to the very, towards the very end of the book of Revelation and Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me and I will go to eat, give to each person according to what they have done. Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the Lord. I'm the beginning and the end. And then he says, blessed are those who wash their robes. Through the revelation, that's who have been cleansed by Jesus' blood, who have been made sins forgiven. Blessed are those who wash their robes 
that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city, those who trust Jesus and his death for them and his resurrection. But outside of the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood because there is no contamination. There's a high price to heaven. Now what chance that you would be there, or your friends or your family, what chance that they would repent and trust in Jesus and follow him? There's no chance that we trust in ourselves because it's God who fights the battle. It's God who clears the way. It's Jesus has made the way. And we don't need to remain outside of his kingdom, unforgiven, facing wrath. All we need to do is follow Jesus and receive the gift. And what will that cost us? What is the price we must pay? Well, I'll say it again. We just need to submit to him as Lord and trust his promises and follow him. And don't stop following him. In this in-between time, as we're heading towards the safe house, Follow him, put off sin, live for the kingdom to come and glory in the one who saved us and plead with those who are wandering off into the minefields. Plead with them, turn around and come back and follow the one who will lead you to security and really to a place to belong for eternity. That we might gather together as God's people around him and have our place in the family of God.